I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles now, if, or if you have access to a copy of the Scriptures, and join me in the Old Testament. And if you'll join me in the Old Testament prophet of Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah, if you flip around in your Old Testament, you'll probably find Isaiah. It's a really uh, large book, and the very next book is another large book. It's the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah uh, chapter 31. Last week, we began a new sermon series. We're spending uh, this time of Advent, letting the songs of Advent and Christmas lead us to Scripture. Uh, we are looking at particular lyrics uh, from songs that we sing this time of year and, and seeing how those lyrics point us to important and vital biblical truth about the birth of Jesus and about the gospel of Jesus. And so uh, this morning we are considering the lyrics uh, from the song, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. Uh, the third verse we sing, Come to earth to taste our sadness. He whose glories knew no end. And we're letting that lyric lead us to the prophet Jeremiah, who was often called weeping, crying, sad. Uh, Jeremiah, known for his expressions of mourning and grief over the judgment that God has poured out on his people. And so we're joining the words of Jeremiah in chapter 31. I will read for us verses 15 to 20. Jeremiah Chapter 31, verse 15 to 20. Thus says the Lord, A voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Thus says the Lord, Keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for there is a reward for your work, declares the Lord. And they shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope for your future, declares the Lord. And your children shall come back to their own country. I have heard Ephraim grieving. You have disciplined me, and I was disciplined like an untrained calf. Bring me back that I may be restored, for you are the Lord my God. For after I had turned away, I relented, and after I was instructed, I struck my thigh. I was ashamed, and I was confounded, because I bore the disgrace of my youth. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he my darling child? For as often as I speak against him, I do remember him still. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I will surely have mercy on him, declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, would you help us now? It is jarring at times to hear your prophets speaking. They speak in ways that are strange and often harsh. And so we ask that you would help us now as we come to the words of Jeremiah, trusting that they are not just the words of Jeremiah, they are your words, and they are not just your words to your people a long time ago, they are words to your people right now. They are your words to the people in this room, in this moment. Help us to trust that, even when it is difficult to trust that. Humble us before you want what you want to say today. Open our eyes and our ears, our minds and our hearts so that we can receive these words and be changed by them. 
And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Jane Austen wrote a letter to her sister. Uh, not long after Jane had finished her novel, Pride and Prejudice. And as Jane wrote to her sister, she expressed dissatisfaction with what she had written. Even though that book has become a great classic, Jane was unhappy with it. And she, her problem with it is that she said, this story is too light and bright and dazzling. She said, this story lacks shade. She thought it needed a little more darkness, a little more sadness. I wonder if any of you feel that way this morning. Not about Pride and Prejudice, but about this season. Earlier, we lit the candle of joy. And all around us is an almost oppressive demand for jolliness, an oppressive demand for cheer, for happiness. And I wonder if some of you have a hard time connecting with that this morning. I wonder if some of you have a hard time feeling that this morning. Maybe because of your personal circumstances. Maybe because of how you perceive the situation of the world around you. You feel like this season is a little too light and bright and dazzling. Maybe you think it lacks shade, darkness, the sadness that resonates with how you are feeling. And whether you feel that way or not, we do have to acknowledge that the Christmas story, the story of Christ's birth, doesn't lack shade. It is a story that involves darkness and profound grief. And so, yes, the shining angels do announce glad tidings of great joy. But at the same time, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 2 tells us that Herod, the puppet ruler on behalf of the Roman Empire of the Judean region, as he heard about this threat to his sovereignty, as he heard about the birth of a king, the birth of the promised Jewish Messiah, he responded with hostility and violence. He sent out death squads to murder Jews. Jewish baby boys throughout the region. And as Matthew described those horrific events that happened around the birth of Jesus, he uses our text. He uses the words of Jeremiah to talk about that darkness. He says, Rachel is weeping for her children. The Christmas story does not lack shade. It does not lack darkness. 
Is there any grief more profound than a mother grieving the loss of her children? And that profound grief is in the Christmas story. It surrounds the birth of Jesus. What do we do with that? What do we do with the sadness of Christmas? Not only in the story, but in our lives. Well, this morning, instead of demanding jolliness, I want us to consider sadness. I want us to see how this text and how the story of Jesus' birth teaches us to accept the cause of our sadness and also to receive the change of our sadness. So first of all, the cause of our sadness. Why is sadness here in Jeremiah and in Matthew chapter 2? Well, to answer why, we have to ask who. Whose sadness is it? Whose grief is it? It's Rachel's. It is Rachel's tears. And the book of Genesis shows us, teaches us, tells us that Rachel was the second wife of Jacob. And Rachel spent much of her life grieving because she was unable to have children. She was barren. And then later in her life, God opened her womb and she had a son named Joseph. Joseph, who would be hated by his brothers and sold into slavery. And then even later in her life, as her family was traveling towards the place that would become Bethlehem, she went into labor with her second son. And she died as a result of that labor. But as she was dying, she named her son Ben-Omi, which means son of my sorrow. Now, dad stepped in and didn't let that happen and named him Benjamin instead. But that is enough to tell us that Rachel's story was a story filled with sadness. But she is here in Jeremiah chapter 31, not only because of her personal loss. She is also here because of her location. After she died as a result of her labor, she was buried in a place called Ramah, a place near Bethlehem. Jeremiah mentions Ramah here in chapter 31, and then he mentions it again in Jeremiah chapter 40, as he is describing the aftermath of the Babylonians invading and destroying the city of Jerusalem. And the people of God lined up at the town of Ramah and shipped off from their destroyed homeland into exile. And so Rachel's tears here in Jeremiah 31 are not just the expression of personal loss. No, she is the symbol of a matriarch. She is the matriarch of Abraham's descendants, a matriarch of the family of God, grieving not just the loss of one child, but the death of the dream that God had promised to Abraham. 
the loss of all the possibilities that God had promised of his people living in the land, flourishing in the land with Jerusalem, with God dwelling with them in Jerusalem at their center. Those are Rachel's tears. They are the tears of a traumatic, not just personal loss, but communal catastrophe. And why did that happen? Why did the exile happen? Why did this traumatic grief happen? The people say it in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 18. They say the Lord has disciplined us like an untrained calf. This sadness is the result of sin. The grief of exile was the result of their rebellion against God's authority. Their resistance to what God wanted for them. That is what caused Rachel's tears. Now, this rebellion wasn't just breaking curfew a couple of times. No, this was hundreds and hundreds of years of the people turning to other gods, turning away from the kind of life that God wanted them to live. And so God sent them out of the home that he had promised to them, exiled them throughout the world. And Rachel grieved as her children lost the dream, as all of those possibilities crumbled around them, and they stared into a dark, dark future. And this is why Rachel's tears aren't just in Jeremiah. They don't cease in Jeremiah, but they continue in Matthew chapter 2. When Matthew opens his gospel, it seems like the problem of Jeremiah has been dealt with. Because the people have returned from exile. They are now back in the land that God had promised to them. But what we see in Matthew chapter 2 is that the problem that caused the exile had not been dealt with. The problem that caused the exile continued. This is what we see in Herod. Herod, as he hears of the gift of God's authority... As he hears of the gift of God's promised king, as he hears the gift of God's kingdom, his rule coming into the world, how does Herod respond? Well, like the people have responded for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, like an untrained calf, he responds with his hostility, with resistance, with murderous Rage. It is a deep irony that Jesus' family has to travel to Egypt because the king in Israel is acting like Pharaoh of old in his hard-heartedness towards the will of God. And here's why that matters for us. Here's where that connects to our sadness. The tears of Rachel are the tears of Eve. 
the cause of this historical sadness that we hear about in Jeremiah is the cause of all human sadness. Now that is not to say that every personal sorrow is the direct result of personal sinful behavior, though sometimes it is. That is not always the case. But it is to say that every human grief, every human disappointment, every human pain is the result of our exile from the garden as the result of sin. It's the result of humanity's resistance to an attempt to replace God and His design for us. And so the question is, are you willing to join the people in Jeremiah chapter 31? Are you willing to own your complicity in the world's sadness? Now, that is a hard image to think about, the image of an untrained calf, to apply that to ourselves. That's demeaning. That's harsh. But it teaches us something essential about the nature of sin. See, we think that rebellion against God increases our capacity. Rebellion against authority increases our freedom. But what Jeremiah, along with the rest of Scripture, show us, shows us is that rebellion against the highest and the best authority diminishes our humanity, makes us beast-like. Isn't that what we see in Herod? Doesn't he act with beastly rage? in his resistance to the authority of God. Are you willing to own that there is a Herod within you? That there is within us all an innate, untrained calf? Thinking that we know better Resisting God and His design and His will for us. And that is the cause of all human sadness. I was celebrating Christmas with my extended family, and uh, we, were, we were sitting, the adults were sitting around my parents' fire pit. And the kids, all of the cousins, were running around the yard. And one of my young nephews came flying around the corner. And he tripped on his own feet. And he fell hard. And he scraped his knees and his elbows. And I was the nearest adult to him. And so I moved towards him. And I said, hey, buddy, are you okay? And he stood up with his face red, tears streaming down his face. And he took a piece of dirt and he threw it at me. And he stormed off in the other direction. In his embarrassment, he misidentified the source of his sadness. 
and he alienated himself for the poten- from the potential of comfort and help. Do we respond to God that way? Now, Scripture teaches us to lament. Scripture teaches us to come to God with our grief, with our questions, with our confusion. God welcomes that, but Scripture also teaches us to repent. And we have to do both. We have to do both. Yes, we can come to God with our tears, but we also, with humility, have to join the people of Jeremiah 31. And own our complicity in the world's sadness, the inner Herod in us all. But why would we do that? I mean, we just took our opening problem, the sadness of Christmas, and we made it worse. So why would we do that? Why would we join the repentance of the people in Jeremiah chapter 31? Well, because in this passage and in the birth of Jesus, we find not only the cause of our sadness, but we are also led to receive the change of our sadness. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 16, God speaks to weeping Rachel, and he tells her to stop crying. Why? Why does he tell her to stop crying? It's not to dismiss or to diminish her grief. No, he tells her to keep her voice from weeping and her eyes for tears because, he says, verse 16, there is reward for your work. Now, that's an enigmatic, difficult-to-translate Hebrew phrase. But one thing we do know is that the language we find there is used elsewhere to describe the labor of a woman having a child. And then God goes on to say in verse 22 that he will do a new thing that a woman will encircle a man, which is an image of pregnancy. That's what happens in pregnancy, right? So do you see what God is doing with Rachel's tears? He is changing them from the tears of inconsolable grief, the tears of endless loss, and he is changing them to the tears of childbearing. He is changing them to the tears that don't continue in endless loss, but give way to joyful gain, to the joy of new life, to the joy of a new birth. And how does that change happen? How do Rachel's tears transform? Well, this passage, this text begins with Rachel expressing maternal sadness. And then the text ends with verse 20, with God joining her parental love and longing. Hear it once again. This is Jeremiah 31, verse 20. This is God speaking. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he my darling child? For as often as I speak against him, I do remember him still. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I will surely have mercy on him declares the Lord. 
Do you see it? Do you see how God changes Rachel's tears? He changes her tears by joining them and by promising to deal with his mercy with what has caused her tears. And that's why Matthew uses the words of Jeremiah. The reason he uses these words of Jeremiah is not only to show that Rachel's tears continue, but to show that in Jesus, in the birth of Jesus, God himself is joining Rachel's tears and dealing with what has caused those tears. I mentioned it earlier. What does the angel say to Joseph? Name him Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from what caused the exile. He will save his people from their sins. Jesus is the embodiment of this parental yearning that we read about in Jeremiah 31. He is the result of the divine anguish over sin and its disastrous results in our lives and our world. And so Mary's tears, as she bears Jesus, becomes God's response to the tears of Rachel and the tears of Eve. In Jesus, God himself comes to earth to taste our sadness. Not to observe it, not to analyze it, not to diagnose it, but to ingest our deepest griefs. We see this in Jesus' birth. We see it in his life. We especially see it in his death. Notice how the beginning of Matthew's story about Jesus anticipates the end. At the beginning, we hear of the horrific murder of sons. And at the end, the Son of God himself hangs on a cross, bearing in his body the horrific consequences of humanity's rebellion against God. On the cross, he Taste, he takes into himself the fullness of our sadness. And what happens when you taste something? When you take food into your body, what happens? You change it, you transform it into nourishment and life. And so as Jesus takes into himself the fullness of our grief, the fullness of our sadness, the fullness of our sin that causes all human sadness, he transforms it. And he begins to make of our tears, not the tears of meaningless grief, of endless loss, but the tears, the birth pangs of a new creation. 
He begins to change our tears into the tears that will give way to the joy of new life. Phil Cly is a novelist and a journalist. He's also a Marine veteran of the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. And so he, he writes a lot, both in his fiction and nonfiction, about war. And he was asked recently in an interview how, through his own experiences, what he sees happening around the world now, and what he's written about, how, in writing about war, how has he not abandoned his belief in God? And he responds this way. He says, how do you not see God in a war zone? The God I believe in was tortured and died in agony on the cross. God is there in this infinite horror, as well as the infant majesty of the world. I'm also deeply convicted by the sense that though there is a God whose experience was to suffer and die, yet that's not the totality of the story. That is the central image and the idea of forgiveness and unearned redemption. It is deeply important to me. I don't know what other option there is. That's the message of Christ come to taste our sadness. He has fully taken in to himself the deep horror of a world in rebellion of God, in, in rebellion against God. But he says, that's not the totality of the story. That is not all there is. He makes our grief an anticipation of a joy that will never end. And so bring your shade. Bring your shade to the celebration of Christmas. Bring your darkness and disappointment. Bring your discouragement and your anxiety and your sadness. Because it is in the darkness that we light the candle. And it is in the darkness that we will see the powerful light of unending joy. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your help this morning again as I started. We have heard hard truths from your word. It, it is hard to admit that we are complicit in the sadness of the world. It is hard to take those words that we read in Jeremiah and apply them to ourselves in our sin. But Father, we are so grateful that we can do that because we are your dear children. That you have yearned to bring us back to yourself, to restore us to our home with you. That you have come in your son to share our tears and to promise that one day you will wipe them all away. 
Father, help us to receive the comfort of that good news. Help us to know that you do not keep us from tears, but you meet us in them through your Son with the promise of forgiveness and unearned redemption. Help us not only to take that comfort for ourselves, but to bring it to one another and to the world around us as we bear witness to the one who came to taste our sadness. Pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.